Hey, it's Greg Brady. Great to have you in for the Friday edition of Toronto Today. Well, a lot of controversy about Bill 21 in Quebec. Yeah, it reared its head during the federal election, maybe more than it did in 2019. But now things have gotten serious with a grade three teacher removed from the classroom for wearing a hijab. We will talk about it. Shiva Shadiki and I both uh, and I will talk about it. And we'll uh, we'll get to the bottom of why some of this is still happening. Is there political capital to be gained here still by federal party leaders supporting Bill 21 or at the minimum not speaking out against it? So much more on the show as well. We hope you do stay and listen. Toronto Today starts now. Hey, it's Greg Brady. It's great to have you in on Toronto Today for Friday, December the 10th. Well, a lot more chat about Bill 21 over the last couple days, and it reared its head during the 21 election campaign, probably more than it did in 2019, but it really may be going somewhere now. A grade three teacher, a female, has been removed from her classroom for wearing a hijab. Shiba Siddiqui and I will track down that discussion and give you the latest on it and our opinions on it as well. We have a busy show. We'll get right to it. Toronto Today starts now. You may have heard uh, the controversy yesterday um, was that of a Quebec teacher who wears a hijab in class. I think it was a third grade class, and she was taken off the job. Um, it's tough to fire teachers. We know that, but she was taken off the job for the time being. We don't know if anything could move on this today, but it is a law. It is a law, and that law was broken. And the question now is, what's the subsequent fallout from this? Nobody likes this law outside of Quebec. There must be Quebecers inside that don't like the law. But I think the big question is, and I'm going to bring on Shiba Siddiqui in a second. We're going to talk about this, and we've got a great guest lined up uh, to talk about it also. It's important to, to, to know, you got to know where you've been to know where you've, you're going. Here's the question from the English language debate that, offs, that set off a lot of controversy. This was to block leader Yves-Francois Blachette, from the moderator of the debate. Have a listen. For those outside the province, please help them understand why your party also supports these discriminatory laws. The question seems to imply the answer you want. Those laws are not about discrimination. They are about the values of Quebec. So that's Shachi Curl, the moderator. Uh, she's BC-based. She was on our show just a few weeks ago. But that set off a bit of a firestorm in reaction to the federal leaders' debate. That was Yves-Francois Blanchette. Here, similarly, Quebec Premier Francois Legault uh, kind of saying, um, you know, like, talk to the hand. We're not interested. We're Quebec. We do what we want in Quebec. Mind your own business. I would say clearly that the vast majority of Quebecers agree to forbid religious signs for people being in an authority position like police people. And that Bill 21 doesn't apply in the rest of Canada. So please. 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 Uh, it's not of your business. Oh. It's not. Okay, awesome. I mean, if we felt that way about everything, nothing would get done. If we looked in the United States when we talk about access to abortion and we see this debate kick around right now, what's available in Massachusetts isn't in Texas. What's available in Vermont isn't in uh, Mississippi. You kind of are allowed to speak up. It's your country, too. And Quebec gets a lot of benefits from being in Canada. Make no mistake. Now, Here's the reaction the next day and watch how the framing changes. The moderate, this is Justin Trudeau back to back with Aaron O'Toole. So it's the prime minister and the opposition leader battling it out for votes 
in a close election vote, at least in terms of popular vote, but watch how they reframe what the question was. The question was about Bill 21 being discriminatory, not what these two say. But it is wrong to suggest that Quebecers are racist. As a Quebecer, I found that question really offensive. Quebecers are not racist, and it's unfair to, to make that sweeping categorization. No, 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 no. That's not what the question was. No one would make the case that everyone in Quebec is racist. I think Francois Legault, by the way, has done some good things with regards to the pandemic, but I find the support of Bill 21 abhorrent. Again, we say this all the time. We're allowed to walk, and we know how to walk and chew gum at the same time. Feeling one way about a law or, um, you know, proposed legislation even does not, you know, complete the entire cycle. Shiba Siddiqui uh, joins me now. It's it's enraging, right? This is not that complicated. It's not that complicated. And we used to f have these complicated, you know, oh, it's so complicated, gay marriage. Oh, it's so complicated, conversion therapy. It's so complicated, um, you know, uh, whether we want to discriminate here and discriminate there. It's not very complicated. There's right and wrong sometimes. Shachi Curl got slammed for asking him that question that night i don't know if you remember that but the next day she was slammed for asking him about about bill 21 he told her that she was leading him with the question mm -hmm. this is what did we think was going to happen when bill 21 was initially introduced what were we what, what did we think was going to happen of course so now fatima anvari the teacher in this grade three class has been removed from her classroom the parents of that class, the majority, I don't know if every single one feels this way, but the parents have come forward saying they want the teacher back. Their kids love this teacher. Teachers have written notes to her telling her how much they are going to miss her, how they, these are grade three kids. I have a kid in grade three. These are grade three kids asking her how come she can't teach because she wears a hijab on her head. This, this is, is this what we want our children to be asking? Is this, is this the mentality we want to teach them? And because of the way you look, because of your beliefs, you can't do certain things. And then the response, Sheba, is, well, you've got to live in Quebec to understand, or you have to be French. Actually, I don't. I get an opinion. I get an opinion on everything. We all do. It doesn't always land the right way. It doesn't. We don't always have to be right 100% of the time. But you don't have to be from Quebec or be of, of French origin to understand why this issue um, confounds <laughs> honestly the rest of us in every other province it's true okay i have a question political science major i have a question for you <laughs> have okay. i mentioned that on the air do i mention it too much now i'm self-conscious about we it we all know we're all aware i'll of bring it, my okay? transcripts in fine so our prime minister trudeau doesn't want to get in the middle of this okay he 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 says he stands up for equal rights he supports the muslim community on one hand on the other hand this hijab wearing teacher gets fired and he's going to he's going to come forward with some kind of bs statement today saying you know his heart goes out to her uh, and uh, like you we just heard quebec mm -hmm. is not a racist province so he doesn't want to lose votes right that's what i'm learning he doesn't want to lose votes by coming forward against this so where's jigmeet where's our ndp leader in this why is he so quiet that's a really fair question because, yeah, the NDP could make maybe they could make gains. How does it hurt them in a province already where they took one seat, Sheba, one seat out of 78? Exactly. One in uh, in Quebec City. I don't know where it is and I don't know who it is. So that tells you it lacks significance and, and prominence. Like, yeah, the, the answer is obvious in that 
there's there's an element of, of Justin Trudeau. If I gave you the Quebec seats from last election, the Liberals had 35, the Bloc Québécois had 32, the Conservatives had 10. But let's say the Conservatives pick off eight seats from Justin Trudeau and the Bloc picks off 12. So the Liberals go down 20 seats. You got a lot closer election. You've got a lot more tenuous hold on power. And in some cases, I could give you many results where the Conservatives swept through. Brian Mulroney was infinitely popular in Quebec. Stephen Harper even had his moments in Quebec, which confounds some. But you're right. It's Jugmeet Singh is the, it's the most obvious thing on the planet to, uh, you know, see to that that's your ultimate in politics. See something, say something. And he had nothing to lose. He said he said after the, um, you know, the, 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 the domestic terrorism event in London, Ontario, he said Muslims don't feel safe. He banged the lectern. He got really emotional. It seemed spontaneous and and it got a lot of uh, it got a lot of play and it got a lot of attention. But people said if he feels that way, I'm taking that as legitimate. And you're right for Bill 21. There needed there sure needed to be more of a response in 2019. But I think and I think he gave that, but only moderately so. And uh, it's not good enough. It's not good and, enough. And you're not supposed to wear your religion uh, on you in Quebec. Okay, so you can't wear hijab. You can't wear a turban. I would love to know how many of these teachers come into class every morning wearing a cross around their necks. I, I want to know if that's checked for. I wonder if these principals go around saying, no, no, you can't wear that. I'd love to see the discrimination that happens. So you're, sa- it's, you're saying it's an obvious double standard. Absolutely it is. Yeah. Absolutely. Where we lose a fantastic teacher in a province that says that they're understaffed as it is. Like I think, I, and guess what? People conflate this out and they'll be like, but guess what? We used to have the Lord's Prayer in school. And I'm like, oh, I remember that in elementary school. And, you know, I think there's people that would love to push it back, but you need that separate. The separation of church and state for schools is not it does not reflect on an individual's beliefs and an individual's uh, religious doctrine. Those aren't the same thing, and we no, we have, we have that not. what we have that whataboutism all the time. And guess what? The left uses it as much as the right. They do. So when you play it up the middle, it's exhausting. But this is an obvious example where you're discriminating. You're telling people you can't do this occupation, that occupation, that occupation because of what you believe. And we don't do that with anybody else, and we don't do it anywhere else in Canada as well. And where are we when we're telling women what they can and cannot wear? Well, so they're telling men say, too. They're telling men too. Yeah, but when in this specific case with this teacher, so you're telling me that we, when people tell me, oh, Canada's not racist, oh, Canada's this, Canada's that, this is a prime example of what is happening in our country, where our politicians, our leaders are looking the other way because there's too much for them to personally lose, and it's an infringement on people's rights. It's interesting, too, isn't it, that they moved her to what is described as an alternate role. She's working on, apparently, a literacy project for the entire school on, quote, inclusion and awareness of diversity. Right? I laughed like, out loud. Like, like laughed did you make that? Did it take 10 minutes to make that up or 15 minutes to make that up? I'm telling you, it's ridiculous. And these MPs that are coming forward, releasing these statements of shock yeah. and outrage. Come on. Where were you? Where were you when we needed you to speak up? Amira El-Gawabi is the Director of Programs and Outreach for Canadian uh, Race Relations Foundation, the CRRF. Amira, it's great to have you on again. Thanks for making time for our audience. Good morning, Greg. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So you've seen this story really got into more of a firestorm yesterday uh, than it did on Wednesday. What was your reaction to some of the reaction to it? 
You know, I think it's really uh, heartening to see uh, the amount of support and solidarity that, uh, you know, Quebecers, I mean, obviously the parents and, and community around the school in Chelsea, uh, as well as just broadly, uh, you know, across the country, you know, people really expressing real disappointment and out of shock even that in, as you said, 2021, we would have a situation where a woman, simply because she chooses to cover her hair, is all of a sudden not allowed to do her job. And, you know, I think one of the, the most poignant things I've seen, and I actually shared it um, widely, was a card written by one of her students, Ellen Wilson, she, you know, a third grader, writing to her teacher mm-hmm. saying, I don't know why you're not teaching me. Uh, I love your hijab. I think this is not fair. Uh, so a third grader can see that this is a really unfair law. And I think the rest of the country is uh, just right, rightfully uh, upset about the, this kind of attack on people's rights and freedoms. We're stuck in a little bit um, of what I would call a little bit. And it happens in on all sides of politics to me, Amira, is we're, we get stuck in a little bit of whataboutism sometime. And what I mean by that is people will look and say, well, wait a minute, don't you think religion should be kept out of the classroom? And I'm thinking well yes but she's not you know saying class let's 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 skip the lesson today let me tell you why my religion's better than yours because you don't see that you know with somebody wearing a uh, you know a crucifix isn't isn't stepping in and doing that somebody who's jewish wearing a yarmulke is not stepping in and doing that that's not what this is okay there's no religious influence in the classroom if the curriculum is stuck to this is about a person where they come from what they believe and that and that gets separated the second they start teaching Absolutely, and I and I, I agree with you completely. Greg. The idea that simply for expressing one's faith, you know, whether it's a kippah, a turban, a hijab, you know, is somehow uh, you know a threat to our democratic values is absurd. In fact, it is our democracy that guarantees people's uh, freedom of expression and conscience. Uh, this is something that we each and every one of us uh, get to experience in Canada, and something that we really hold dear. So, absolutely, when we enter into a classroom, or if uh, a lawyer enters into a courtroom, you know, they have been trained in the 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 work that they have to do. They have been trained uh, how to deliver the curriculum or how to interpret the law. Uh, really, one's own personal faith, beliefs, or identity uh, has nothing to do with it. Um, And it is the state that actually, uh, you know, remains secular and remains neutral. It doesn't Mm -hmm. enforce that particular belief on other people. That's where it, you know, oversteps. And why the province of Quebec used the notwithstanding clause, which a court judge said in Quebec that it went too far, that it was really excessive and, in fact, cruel and dehumanizes the people that it targets. So, you know, let's see what happens in the Supreme Court of Canada. But in the mm-hmm. meantime, let's hope that, you know, people really, you know, push back against this law and maybe they, you know, the government there realizes, you know, how wrong this is. Amira El-Gawabi, our guest director of uh, Programs and Outreach for Canadian Race Relations Foundation. Do you feel like there might be a bit of a, um, a foot race, to put it mildly, among politicians now to get this right? We are talking about this case. There wasn't one case in between, say, the last election and now that we looked at and, and got, to me, um, this kind of prominence. And and I don't care when people get there. It's that they do get the Barack Obama was against gay marriage, platforming to win the Democratic nomination in 2008. He defined marriage as between a man and a woman. That always surprises people when I tell them that, but it's true. But it's about getting it's about the, you know, the the end result in a case like this, not necessarily the journey that you took. We've got to get there. If our leaders do get there via this case, good. 
Oh, no, absolutely, Greg. Like, I think that's, that's exactly it. It's, it's that people do take time to start to really understand the implications of a bill like this. You know, of course, we've had, um, you know, people and women in particular, and Muslim women are, are the most targeted with this bill. But as I said, it really impacts other religious minority communities, Jewish communities, Sikh communities, etc. But when we see a case like this, where you actually have the bill affecting, impacting not just this teacher, but the classroom, the community. Chelsea is a very close-knit community. You know, yeah. She's a member of their community that has all of a sudden been taken out of the classroom where she was building relationships, where people looked to her. There's a teacher shortage in that province. It really defies logic that they would take out such a competent, well-loved teacher, you know, relegate her, you know, behind the scenes, you know, don't see, uh, don't see her. So, you know, maybe she doesn't exist that way practically. And ironically, she's going to be doing work around diversity and inclusion in their literacy project. So it's, it's, just, you know, it's just ludicrous. And, you know, adults are getting this wrong all over the place. And absolutely, we hope that political leaders, you know, step up and, you know, really help defend uh, the rights that I mentioned, you know, that all of us really do enjoy and that we can't take for granted. In what an attack against one community is really an attack against all of us, because where does it end? Well, it's, I'd say that's true. You you could be, you're a, you nailed it, you could be a non-religious Christian who has no interest, no influence whatsoever on, you, you just want to come in and do a great job as a teacher, and maybe you're wearing a cross around your neck because it was your grandma's, and she means, uh, there's, no, there's no limitation, and again, if it influences the curriculum, yes, of course, there needs to be oversight, and we need to make sure that, that there is that separation of church and state, but that's not what, ju- that's not what just happened in Chelsea and nobody believes that. No, absolutely. It's not what happened in Chelsea. And I think that, you know, Quebecers and, and Canadians are understanding that, you know, it makes absolutely zero sense uh, for anyone to discriminate against anyone. The Charter of Rights and Freedoms for Canada, as well as Quebec's own Charter of Rights and Freedoms, guarantees freedom of religion, freedom of expression, freedom of thought. These, these are fundamental values in a democracy. Um, and so this, you know, this bill goes too far. And certainly I, I expect that the Supreme Court of Canada will strike it down. But in the meantime, there are people's lives that are being affected. There are young children who are you know, mm. trying to understand why on earth their beloved teacher is no longer able to teach them. Amira, love our conversation. Thank you very much for making the time. Have a great weekend. It's important stuff. Yeah, Thank pleasure. you for doing it. Thanks, Greg. Take care. Uh, that was uh, real, real insightful for me. Uh, Amira El-Gawabi, Director of Programs and Outreach, Outreach for the Canadian Race Relations Foundation. Uh, very happy to bring on our next guest, Dr. Nahid Dasani, palliative care physician, health justice activist. It's, it's great. I feel like it's been forever since you've been on with me, but I know you're out there. I see, I see you saying things, so you're not, you know, you're not, no one's stifling you. You're doing all right, yeah? <laughs> it's definitely been a minute and I'm so glad to be on. Thanks so much. We're two weeks out. Give me give me sort of the lay of the land in uh in, in Dasani land when it comes to Omicron. Two weeks ago we hear about this new variant, South Africa. Not great. Like it didn't send us into the uh, weekend uh with you know skipping a, a joyful tune in our heads. That said, subsequently, even with everything that's transpired um in this province and elsewhere. I think we're we're getting an element of relief when it comes to the virus. We're still real worried and we're still real um, vigilant, but it does appear to be a more mild strain of COVID than than Delta. Certainly, if you're vaccinated, is that how you read it? 
Yeah, you know, I think when the news came out, it was certainly, you know, something we were all really worried about. And we continue to be worried and we continue to wait for more information. Uh, Certainly, you know, we've heard, we've seen some information that, you know, it's less, uh, potentially is less severe, but also potentially more transmissible, Mm -hmm. which really brings us to the focus of the conversation, you know, on a day like today in Ontario, where we need to be thinking about a multi-layered approach uh, to, you know, addressing COVID-19, which includes you know, making sure people have access to rapid antigen testing, thinking about how COVID is airborne, you know, really uh, expanding our third dose uh, opportunities for people, particularly those who are 18 plus uh, on a list of, of other things. Yeah, you could. I, I've said this at, at 50 plus. OK, that's better than 60 plus. That's better than 70 plus. But you could I, I could pick them off, uh, you know, on uh, four fingers and a thumb pretty easily. I can think about 52 and 53 year olds that are in phenomenal shape and run marathons. And I can think about a 43 year old who who would be in real trouble. And they're, if they were both fully vaccinated, the 43 year old probably needs the booster a lot more than the 53 year old. We got to open this up to all adults because age is just a number. I, I know you and I look 10 years younger than our age, but age is just a number. Dr. Nassani, please. <laughs> Maybe that's 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 you, but probably not me. <laughs> but uh, thank you. Uh, but I will say that uh, absolutely, you know, uh, one of our best tools uh, is still vaccination. And despite Omicron and despite you know all the news that has come out, vaccination still serves as a as a, a layer of protection that is you know top of the list. So we really need to make sure that those who are unvaccinated get vaccinated and and support our infrastructure so that we can support third doses across the province and across the country. Dr. Nahid Dosani, kind enough to join us on Toronto today with uh, Greg Brady. I saw um, Dr. Bogosh mention it earlier that we're, we're not right now even at the uptake where we need to be for 70 plus. And, and I would, you know, I'd advocate, I don't, it's, it, it's not a um, choose one or the other, but can I make the case to you that, you know, you, if people that are desperate to vaccinate their, they're healthy six or seven year old um make sure you call your parents because probably probably to limit damage over the next few months the 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 grandparent vaccine might be more important do them both sure but we've got to get our older more vulnerable people uh vaccinated especially if we if we plan on gathering it all that 70 year old vaccine vaccination that booster is probably more important than a seven year old's first shot in all honesty that's really great advice. You know, we're, we're seeing data that approximately 30% of those who are 70 years and older in Ontario have received their third COVID vaccine dose. And so, you know, with Omicron spreading, we know that these vaccines are more important than ever. We need to do everything we can to reach out to, you know, elder, frail, you know, seniors uh, to connect with them. That means, you know, reaching out to people who are socially isolated, thinking about our communication approaches and even mobile you know, healthcare, you know, programs that reach out and provide low threshold, low barrier care. I'm thinking about, you know, interpretation and language. I'm thinking about mobility. This is going to be a community effort as it has been in previous uh, uh, waves. You've pointed out before how much that this has far been um, because you deal with issues of inequality and, and you're so well-spoken and, and verbose on them. Um, and, and I think it needs to be, um, you know, at times we all need to be relentless in what we want to advocate for. What I worry about, uh, not from you, but why I like talking to you and guys like Dr. Bogosh, Dr. Sharkawi, I think there's a level of pragmatism. Um, Dr. Uni dropped some messaging this week. I didn't like it very much, to be honest. He said, no, no, don't gather 
now and, and he used the phrase wait until summer and i just you know mental health is health too i think the messaging to me has to be um you know there's a way to do all this there's a minimum uh, to reduce frequency of course you don't want you know 50 80 year olds getting together at a at a bingo hall and and partying it up but we can do a lot of this now we can't I don't think we can give advice, Doctor Dasani, like it's like it's June of 2020. I think we got a deal in the now, and you mentioned it: rapid testing, understanding the booster, understanding risk mitigation. I think we can do things this holiday season without without that kind of messaging. That's me. Yeah, you know, I I think we're very lucky in Ontario to have experts like Doctor Uni and members of the Ontario Science Table who have guided us through some of the darkest, tumultuous times of this pandemic. And you know, you make some good points about how. Our public health advice needs to match the human experience, yeah. particularly at a time when people have, you know, gone through so much during this pandemic. You know, people's jobs have been impacted, you know, children. There's just is pandemic fatigue. And here we are in the holidays and people just want to hang. Right. They want to they want to be around people and they want to get together. And, you know, that's why I've been really advocating around access to rapid antigen testing, because I think it's um, another layer of a layered approach that we are not using to our full, you know, our full potential that could really potentially keep people safe. Even if people are given access to rapid tests, you know, once a week, this could make a huge difference. And it's what we've missed on schools, I, I, big time. I told the story. I, I would make the case schools have have gone better, maybe in spite of how they were set up, than some people feared. I think that's a fair statement. But what I struggle with is, again, we're using last year's pre-vaccination rules. I, I have a grade 10. A kid pops positive in his class two weeks ago. My kid's sent home for seven days. He's fully vaccinated. He's asymptomatic. He goes and get a test. He's negative. Those kids should be in school. And you know, you know, Dr. Dasani, as Omicron spreads, and even if it's more if it's more transmissible and less severe, we can't be counting cases out here like it's 18 months ago. We're going to have a lot of schools go into outbreak in January, February if we don't adapt, use the tests, and maybe even change some of the metrics. Yeah, you know, I hear the frustrations from, from, from you and, and parents all across the province. And, you know, I'm, I really do want to commend the provincial government for, you know, committing to send five rapid tests home with each, you know, uh, person in public and a student in a public school ahead of the winter holidays. But more can and really should be done around these rapid tests. Mm-hmm. You know, we live in a province where, you know, we suspect there are probably millions of rapid tests sitting in some warehouse, probably unused, and people have to pay upwards of $40 at Shoppers Drug Mart to access them. That's not fair for people who can't afford it. We need to continue to expand expand free and equitable access to rapid testing across Ontario now and beyond the holiday season to allow Ontarians to interact more safely. That brings me a good spot to go with you because about a month ago, um, shoppers said, I feel like I feel like lately you're probably buying your toothpaste and deodorant somewhere else. I'm just guessing, but you don't have to just nod. Wink, wink, wink twice if, I, if I'm right. But, but I, I actually, I, I would push back a little bit. The only reason I said, I don't know that this is awful is i want people to get tested you probably would too and i didn't like the idea of of people we've been out of our comfort zones a lot so let's say we've got a a 70 year old widow who's not feeling great and and she wants a test i want her to have access is there a is there i hear your point as well we can't be having the pharmacy uh have a line up and down the aisle with with symptomatic people but is there a is there a middle ground that could be adaptable even if we did a drive-through i know not not every parking lot works but i just want access to testing because you know what happens if people don't get tested and they try and play through this like we were doing in essential workplaces it's not great and it spreads 
You're so right. You know, we really need to make sure community-based access to testing is uh, available for people. Um, and I think the controversy earlier was that there was a plan to kind of offer this inside, right? When yeah. no COVID is, is airborne and this would cause, you know, more um, uh, illness, particularly for frail, you know, sick people getting their medications. You know, I, I understand from public health and infectious disease specialists that absolutely there are ways to do this with guidance, uh, for example, doing this outside through drive-through, uh, you know, as, as they do in other countries around the world. So there are ways to do the same. I think the guidance around that was lacking when that announcement came out, and that's where the controversy came from. Yeah, that gets us back to messaging and and people being, look, people don't have their eye on the ball all the time like you do or our listeners do or I do. And so, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Things can get a little, little confusing at times. And even if we look to the south, I know sometimes the better weather has benefited some states, but we saw a lot more, you know, outdoor vaccine clinics, drive through vaccine clinics than we've been able to provide. And I'm going, that's going to make you you want people to feel comfortable. Let them stay in their own car. I did. That's the test I did with my 15 year old last week. And we're in and out in two minutes. That's what makes even that even for vaccinating kids, that makes some sense. Yeah, you know, you really got to make it so that people can access it. And, and you got to make it so that people feel safe when they're accessing it. And so, you know, that is actually the argument for why, why rapid antigen mm. tests make a lot of sense. Not, not to mention, you know, the precautionary principle, you know, really being proactive because um, we don't know fully the impact of Omicron. You know, why are we waiting to react to see the impact of Omicron before, you know, considering more widespread use of rapid antigen tests? Uh, you know, yeah. it's, just, it's again one layer of a layered approach that we're not using. Are you with me on the on the tie cats on Sunday? Like you don't want? I, I know you want the good people of Hamilton to to have your back here. You got it's a lot of pressure. <laughs> so no I, one's I, listening I, in Winnipeg right now. Believe me. I'm a huge Argos fan, um, <laughs> and so I was very much devastated um, at the conference. It looked good at halftime, okay. didn't it? <laughs> it did. I'll go with the Ticats. I'll support you. <laughs> <laughs> Keeping it in Ontario. I wouldn't ask you to do that with the Ottawa Senators. No self-respecting anyway. I'll leave it there. Great having you on and great to chat. Thanks very much as always. Thank you. Have a good one. I want to welcome on uh, Mayor of Brampton. He is Patrick Brown uh, to Toronto today. It's great to have you on again. There's so much I want to get to with you. Um, Bill 21, you weighed in on this yesterday. You saw other federal politicians at that level uh, doing it. It's it's one thing if we think, okay, you know, somebody gets to jump the line, somebody's getting a special privilege here. That's not that's not at all with, or even even if it contravenes the the separation of church and state, Mayor Brown. But that's that's not what this is. That's not what Bill 21 does or or is about. You know, Bill 21 creates second-class citizenship, and it really um, is an egregious um, infringement of, on religious freedom in, in Canada. I think it infringes the Canadian Charter of Rights, and for political convenience, our federal leadership has traded uh, a foundational value um, out of the worry that they lose votes in, in Quebec, and in my opinion, it's shameful. It's why Two years ago, Brampton was the first municipality that requested to join the legal challenge against Bill 21. I think we've had over 100 municipalities join in since that point. Uh, I think it's responsible. It's, it's all our responsibility to stand up to a bully and stand up to something that is uh, very much against Canadian values of, of, of religious freedom. Does this feel like um, a, a, a moment where the, the needle might move on this just in the last 48 hours? Yeah, I, I, we knew these examples were going to happen. We knew that based on this um, law, 
that there would be people um, who would be removed as uh, police officers or school teachers based on their faith. And uh, this is not surprising. This is a result. You know, the school teacher who lost their job uh, for being uh, Muslim, um, you know, this is a direct consequence of Bill 21. And, and it's nice to see that we're starting to see some MPs speak out against it. Uh, but frankly, we heard crickets in the 2019 yeah. and 2021 federal elections. So I am relieved to see um, uh, parliamentarians start to speak about it. But, you know, I represent the most diverse big city in Canada. We have over 70 percent visible minorities. And when we heard the news uh, about what was happening in Quebec, you know, we felt it was very much an attack on multiculturalism. I also think we, you know, I, I love the United States. I've got an American-born son. I've got relatives there. But I think we see how split and divided they are. So, you know, I'm sure people say, well, that doesn't happen in our state, but it happens in that state. I, you know, as as, as many benefits as, as you get in America, I don't think that's what we want in Canada. I don't think we want to say, well, that's just how they do it in Quebec. It, it, we kind of want equality and the basic, you know, bot, you know, bargain, the, the freedoms and, and rights to be universal from west to east. Religious freedom shouldn't be something that is protected in nine of ten provinces. Yeah. Religious freedom is a value that should be protected in every province. All right, um, you've got a you've got economic news that's really important and and good for uh, for Brampton residents. We've got inflation happening right now. We've got people that are just getting their way back to the workforce or back to the office. We're again, I want to get to education a little bit because I know how important uh, that benchmark is for you. But the news is good when it comes to taxes. Yeah, the good news is Brampton's been able to freeze its uh, tax rate for the fourth year in a row. Um, and why it's so important is when I started as mayor four years ago, I noticed that Brampton had the highest, among the highest taxes in the GTA. And so by freezing taxes for yet another year, we're starting to catch up. And it's my goal to make sure that we are competitive with other GTA municipalities. A lot of people don't realize that, that Toronto has among the lowest taxes in, in, in the GTA. Mm-hmm. And if you want to bring business and investment to your community, you have to be tax competitive. And I'd add to that after 18 months of, of COVID-19 that battered um, small businesses and families, um, the last thing we can do is put an additional burden on their backs. And so I was very happy that our council unanimously voted to uh, freeze taxes for another year. Mayor Patrick Brown from uh, Brampton, our guest on Toronto Today. Tell our listeners what you see on the ground in terms of that sort of, I think a lot of businesses are going through a wrestling match. Is, is it happening municipally with people that really want to be back in an office environment and, and people that um, that don't even want to acquiesce and go and go to some kind of hybrid model where they're in a few days a week? Face-to-face meetings are important. Camaraderie is important. You can imagine in this job, you need, you need to see faces. I would bet you feel the same way. Is, is there a little bit of a tugging match to, uh, to get it right, that, something that works for everybody? if it's possible yeah i think people want to get back to normal i think people want to get you know their businesses back on their feet uh and you know we're 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 hopeful that's going to be the case i know there's a little bit of nervousness around uh omicron but i would say this um for those who are contemplating you know additional uh, changes or closures we can't fixate on the case numbers we don't fixate on how many colds there are in a community what we really need to look at is hospital capacity and the severity of the cases and as much as COVID case counts are going up during these winter months, what I'm really encouraged about, um, and the reason that I believe that small businesses are going to be able to stay open and, and be back on their feet, is I look at our hospital capacity and it's stable. Um, yeah. We're in really strong shape. 
And it's because of our vaccination campaign. Because Canada has among the highest vaccination rates in the world, um, we're not seeing this revival of severity in cases that we've seen in some other jurisdictions in the world. And I think that's the amazing thing about Brampton and Peel is, and and it was an access issue, no question about it. In March and April, um, you guys were pleading uh, with the province to to have more of a of, of an outlet to get people vaccinated, and people said, "Oh, I don't know, are, are the low numbers because of hesitancy?" Not in Peel and not in Brampton. When the vaccine showed up, everybody got shot. Yeah, people lined up to get uh, their their vaccines. Yeah, at one point we had a twenty four hour clinic, and literally there was people lined up to get vaccines at at, at three in the morning. And the reason our hospital is relatively empty of COVID-19 cases right now is because we have that high level of protection through the vaccination campaign. And so I'm actually optimistic um, about the months ahead. I know there's going to be a big announcement at Queen's Park uh, today um, about where the province is, is going, if there's going to be additional restrictions. But, you know, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that we're actually in a, in a, in a strong position and we're not going to require um, any new closures or restrictions on businesses? I agree. I, I agree, and and I I think I think I I worry rumors that get out there like that are are sort of um, politically motivated to to you know to cause some some chaos here and there. Here's one thing I want to back up on on what you said with case numbers. This is where I think we need to readapt, and I don't know the exact answer. And you and I aren't scientists, but we need to do that with schools because if if Omicron is, is exactly as we're starting to believe it is, we got a lot of evidence and real world data, not just from South Africa over the last 14 days. We're going to have potentially more cases, but those cases, especially in fully vaccinated, asymptomatic high school kids, those don't mean what what it even meant six months ago, let alone a year ago. So if we're going to close schools because of cases via vis-a-vis outbreaks, we're going to close a lot of schools and we shouldn't be. No, and, and Omicron, we're told, is more transmissible, but but less severe. And so we have to sort of understand that in our mindset because i know it's very easy to 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 close um a school even if there's a single or 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 two cases um but really i think the reminder for us is uh right now vaccines are available for the 5 to 11 cohort and the sooner we protect that cohort the better ability we're going to have to keep all the schools uh open the uptake has been phenomenal in peel but i would just say to any family that is listening if you have kids five to 11, please get them protected. You know, our medical officer health, Dr. Lowe has faced some skepticism from, from, um, from some parents saying, you know, should, should I get my parent, my, my kids vaccinated? And Dr. Lowe has kids in that cohort and he got them vaccinated the first day. Why? Because he wants to protect his children. And if the physicians are protecting their children with this vaccine, you should do so yourself as well. Where are those numbers for you? I know uh, Toronto claims to be uh, at nearly 30%. I think it's 28 and a half, five to 11, two weeks in. Are you in that vicinity of, uh, yeah. of 25 to 30? Yeah, we're in that same range. Um, and literally every clinic has been busy every day. And that's encouraging because it means that the vast majority understand um, how powerful this protection is for their children. Yeah, it's it's uh yeah it's it's vital and and it it plays into the boosters as well uh, for our our older people, which may even be more vital. Uh, I don't know what your aspirations are to visit Winnipeg, Manitoba anytime soon, but I'm sure you have a rooting interest in Sunday's uh, CFL game. You know, I'm more of a of a hockey fan, but you know, my grandparents were originally from St. Boniface, Manitoba, so I, I oh dear. I, I guess part of me will uh, have some sympathy for uh, for, for for Winnipeg. <laughs> and haven't they? I was having the Tiger Cats suffered enough. They couldn't even play last year, let alone host the game. But but I get it. I get it. It's uh, family first. Loved having you on, Mayor Brown. Appreciate the time.
Okay, thank you. Appreciate you listening to Toronto Today. That's it for this week and this Friday. Back with a live show on Monday, December the 13th. Until then, have a great weekend. We'll have all the latest for you Monday morning with a live show 530 to 9. And keep finding us right here where you find your podcast. Don't feel, uh, don't forget to subscribe and pass along to a friend. We always appreciate that. It's growing numbers, and we appreciate it. Thanks so much.